Okay, so today is our last uh, lesson that we'll have in, in our study of the letter to the churches in Galatia. Uh, it's been going on now, I think about three quarters. It's been a long one, and I hope you've enjoyed it. hope you've gotten something out of it. Um, it's a great letter, epistle to study. There's a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of things Paul has to deal with, of course, after establishing those churches in Galatia and finding out about the folks that crept in, right, after he left. And you can kind of think of the letter, six chapters, just you can kind of divide it up into three parts. You know, the first couple of chapters is where, is where he's defending his apostleship. And what was happening was these Judaizing teachers, or so-called Judaizing teachers, were coming in and saying, well, Paul's not an apostle. He, he's not anything. You, you got to keep the law, right? You got to go back and keep the law. You got to be circumcised. And Paul's making the case that he was an apostle. He saw the Lord. He was converted on the road to Damascus. He made the case that he is uh, an apostle. He has that, uh, that gift of the Holy Spirit that he's able to discern things. He's able to preach the gospel to them. And he has, the, he has valid reasons for that. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he argues very hard for the justification uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. Not through the works of the law, not through circumcision, but it's that we have that liberty in Christ, right? We have that freedom. We are now his children. We are being transformed into his image. And that's what he's trying to get across there. It's not about keeping that law. It was our tutor, so we know what's right and wrong, so we see God, so we know his character and so forth. But it's not about keeping the law, which couldn't be kept. Now that you are a new creature, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, you are now living according to the law of love. You're now living according to the way God designed it to be. Yes, sin crept into the world, and it caused men to stray. But what he's saying is, the Lord has come and reconciled you back to him, forgiven you, raised you up, a new creature, uh, clean, and now you are walking in freedom walking in love with him, obeying his commands because your love for him. It's not about keeping the law, which can't be kept, right? He says justification comes through our faith, our desire to turn our lives over to him because we believe in him and what he did for us. And then you might say the last two chapters is he, he's, he's, getting, he's asked, telling the Christians, even though you have this liberty, you got to remember you need to sow to the spirit, not to the flesh, right? And he listed out the works of the flesh as compared to the works of the spirit, right? And he's saying, even though we have this freedom, it doesn't mean you continue to live in sin. Even though we have this freedom in Christ, doesn't mean you sow to the flesh. Continue to commit the works of the flesh. You are now walking in the spirit, and you should have certain fruit that is coming from you because of that. And you can kind of see that and say, is that in my life? Do I see these things in my life? Am I really walking in the spirit? Do you have something to kind of guide yourself, to measure yourself against a little bit there, right? To say, if I don't have those fruits, if I don't see those things in my life, perhaps I'm not really there. Perhaps I'm not really walking in that spirit. And he's, he's begging them to continue on. And today he's going to conclude all this, and he's going to kind of, he, he, he doesn't necessarily summarize what he's said, but he's going to kind of get to the point uh, of why he said some of these things. And let's turn over to Galatians chapter 6. And let's just read what he says there at the end of the, end of the letter. Beginning of verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. 
as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So as he concludes his epistle, this letter, he makes some personal remarks. I love that verse in verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I am writing you. Exclamation point, right? He's saying, I want you to get this. I'm trying to make a point to you. Scholars try to say, well, that, that means he's actually writing this letter as opposed to having someone uh, write it for him, a scribe. Or, or perhaps it's just because he wants others to think uh, that it's very important what he's saying, right? So others say maybe it's just the length of the epistle. I don't know. But he's making a point there. He says, I want you to see. I'm writing these in large letters. See what I'm saying. You ever had to do that with your kids? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't you getting this? I wrote these letters really big for you. I've told you a thousand times not to do that. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then Jim's saying he, he probably did have a problem with his eyesight, and that's true. And the thorn in the flesh, many have speculated that was his eyesight. And they'll refer to this verse, too, to say he probably had a issue with sight and that was one of his thorns in the flesh which remember he had asked the Lord to take away and he said the Lord said well my grace is sufficient for you right so that was one of those things that he had a problem with but he's able to glorify God through that right and now he's saying look at these large letters look at these large letters I want you to get this right well <clears throat> it's interesting though in these last few verses what he's going to do here is he's going to make another contrast right He's going to make a contrast between himself and others, the Judaizing teachers and his preaching, and a contrast in what they took pride in. It's an interesting couple of verses here. There's something to glean from these two um, very different boasts, right? He's talking about some things that those who had crept in were boasting about, were prideful about, as compared to what he is prideful about. And not a prideful, uh, not a prideful way that it's sinful, but he takes pride in what he is going to, what he's talking about here. We're going to get into what he's talking about. Boasting in a show of flesh. This was the boast of some. Such was the case of those who sought to compel this circumcision. So we're kind of seeing what he's saying here. Those who were telling the Christians they still had to be circumcised were doing this as a matter of pride. They were boasting in it, right? They're telling these Gentiles who did not know the law necessarily. They, didn't, they weren't circumcised like the Jews were. Well, you, you got to be like us, right? You got to be like us in the flesh. Just because you're 
this new Christian and, and this new creature, you gotta, you gotta do the things that we do. You gotta keep the law. You gotta be circumcised. One, they say, to avoid persecution. Hmm. And two, so they could simply boast in the flesh of the Gentiles. Look, Gentiles are doing just like us. Right? Interesting two concepts, right? They were, however, as Paul says there in verse 13, inconsistent. They were stressing, stressing circumcision, but yet they didn't keep the law. You see, if you're going to tell someone they need to be circumcised, you've got to tell them they've got to keep the law, right? In fact, they can't just keep one thing or the other. They've got to keep it all. And remember the, what Scripture says, if you transgress one part of the law, you've transgressed what? The whole law. So that's what he's saying. These folks coming in and telling you you're going to be circumcised, but they don't keep the law. Makes no sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. He mentions this early in the epistle. Turn back to chapter 2 there in Galatians. Let's read what he said earlier. And we talked about this in our study. Verse 11. Interesting concept that he uses here. Interesting account that he uses here. Verse 11. Now when Peter <coughs> had come to Antioch, I was stood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews. Why do you compel Gentiles to live with Jews? Paul said Peter was kind of participating in this. When they came, the Jews came, he backed away from the Gentiles. He didn't want to eat with them because, first of all, he was afraid of being persecuted. It's hard to believe that Peter was afraid of being persecuted, but that's what Paul's kind of saying here. And he didn't want, to think, want the Jews to think he was doing anything not part of the law because it was unlawful for a Jew to eat with a Gentile. Interesting concept, right? Paul's saying that's what they were doing. And they were boasting in that they were able to get the Gentiles to do as the Jews. In other words, they were focused on the external, on the flesh, right? Why? Well, for the purpose of show, right? They were able to get the Gentiles to show that the Jews, they were doing like the Jews, that they were able to uh, get them to change their, to not understand, to go back to the law, to change, to be like the, the Jews were. <clears throat> and you might say, we kind of do some of that today, do we not? Do we ever boast in the flesh? Do you ever worry about what people think about how you look? Do you ever worry about what people think about what you say? So much so that it would cause you to refrain from preaching the gospel? Mm. That's a tough one, isn't it? I'm not saying that's exactly a one-to-one -one correlation there. Because he's talking more of a prideful thing here. But you can kind of see what he's getting at, right? We shouldn't let the fleshly things, the things of this world 
get in the way of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. We don't want to be ridiculed in our service to Christ, right? Does it come to that? Maybe we don't think of it that way. But are you embarrassed to tell someone you're a Christian? Do we take pride in what impresses others more than we think about what we should be doing? Now, there's nothing wrong with being, uh, trying to be a good, make a good show for yourself, right? Especially in a job. You want to work hard. You want, you want to impress the boss, right? I'm not talking about something like that. What I'm getting at is trying to show how good you are or how cool you are, right, with your friends. So much so that you would lower your standards to theirs, perhaps, to be like the world. See what I'm getting in here? See what we're talking about here? Similarities of what was going on in Galatia. How might we boast in the flesh? How might we boast in the show of the flesh today? Let's read a few verses here. Go over to Matthew chapter 23. And let's read something from there. Beginning in verse 5. Matthew 23, verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue. Greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do we do things here for show? Do we get up in the pulpit and preach and teach to show how good we are and how great we are? I hope I'm not doing that. All right? I'm up here today leading, trying to help you understand some things with the word, some things that I've studied, but I'm I'm nobody. I'm just a man trying to understand the word the same as you are. I've done a little studying. I'm trying to pass that on to you, but I'm not doing this for show. At least I hope not. And if you see it that way, you need to let me know because that's part of that. You find a brother that's not acting like you ought to, you need to tell him about it. With gentleness, of course. But... Does that happen? Well, I don't know that that's here. I don't, and I don't know the heart of men when they get up and lead or teach or preach or whatever. There might be some of that going on. Don't necessarily see it. But remember, when you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to have certain fruits, right? And Scripture's very plain when it says you will know people by what? Their fruit. Scripture says they will know you are Christians by what? Your love for one another. So you can see things, you can discern things, you can identify things about people 
by what they do, not so much what they say, right? You know, we see some things like on TV, I don't know, some of these TV preachers who have these massive cathedrals, right, tea places, and they talk a good game, and then, and then they start asking for money and all this other stuff, you know, and you think, ah, you kind of get the idea that's not very genuine, right? You can see these things, and Paul, I mean, and, and the Lord is saying there, don't be like them. Don't be like the Pharisees who wore their long phylacteries and like to be in the high places and have people call them teacher. Don't be like them. Turn over to 1 Timothy 2. Let's see another way that we can kind of show things and let it get out of hand. Beginning of verse 8. 1 Timothy 2. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 Timothy 2. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Interesting verses. Usually when you read those verses, we're talking about what? You know, women don't wear a bikini to church. Or actually, women don't wear a bikini at all, I guess I should say, right? But actually, what he's kind of getting at here with those verses is, is, is not so much being modest in your attire, but not being showy. Right? And you, may, you can get both applications out of that, right? But I think the point he's trying to really get to is you're not to be doing things outwardly for show. It's not about you. It's not about what you're wearing. It's not about adorning yourselves in all these special things perhaps that the pagan worshipers would do in their worship. It's kind of the point we're getting at there. We're not doing things like wearing religious clothing, wearing things that make us show. I don't mean to put any other denomination down or anything, but you know, You've seen some worship services probably on TV where they wear some pretty wild clothes, pretty funny hats. And you think, what's the point of that, you know? Where does that come from? And it's always in the back of my mind, I know that's a traditional thing and they've been doing it for, what, hundreds of years or whatever, but it seems to me a big old show, doesn't it? If that's the attention you're making, you know, if that's what you're showing, then where's the substance? You know what I mean? Kind of makes you wonder, what's really going on there? Is there any um, heartfelt substance there? Or is it just all a big show? You see, that's what we're kind of saying here. He's kind of getting at a point. He's not talking about clothing in this context necessarily, but that's something that we can apply today. It's not about being a show. It's not about showing out. It's not about adorning ourselves in some, you know, crazy-looking garb to show how religious we are. How about uh, religious titles or having a title as, I don't know, Pope, I guess, or Supreme Pumbaa, whatever you want. 
to impress people, right? That's something else that we see, right? Especially in the re religious world, right? It's not about the title. How about, I just mentioned, building big old elaborate church buildings. Expensive, using money for show. Show how beautiful it can be and how labor can be. You know, God, well, actually, Christ said at the woman at the well, what? The time is coming and now is that God doesn't care where you worship, only that you worship in spirit and in truth. You can worship anywhere. Doesn't have to be in a building. You can be down by the river. You can be in a van down by the river. Well, you couldn't get in a van pretty much. You know, it's not about the building. Yet we see that, don't we? What was that thing they used to have on TV? The Crystal Cathedral? Y'all ever remember? Who was that? Schuler. That was the guy's name, wasn't it? That massive church building was all glass. Very beautiful. You think, what's the point? You know? What was the point? How about emphasis on how many people we've converted? You ever been part of a congregation that was numbers-oriented? There's been some out there. Put the emphasis on how many people we can bring in, not on the gospel. Yeah. And we have to be careful about that. that that's something as elders, and we talk about numbers. We do that. We have to. Part of the job. But you've got to be careful that you're not just doing things to bring them in and not preaching the truth and not changing Remember, not change the way you do things just to get people in the door. You don't sacrifice the truth, right? Have you ever seen that happen? Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. How about, um, ever heard of someone having a, I don't know, a revival and they brought in a bunch of celebrities? I don't know that that's happened in a church of Christ that I know of as far as having gospel meetings. But bringing in somebody everybody knows, right? To try to get people in the door. Focusing more on the flesh and the name than the truth in the name of Christ. Just some interesting things. It might be that we are actually boasting in a show of the flesh when we seek out popularity rather than true worship. Right? Got to be careful about that. So that's what Paul's getting at here in this first part of these last few verses, talking about how they boasted, how they boasted in the, getting the Gentiles to be circumcised, how they boasted in the idea that they were able to make them become more like the Jews. But Paul contrasts that with something. He says... I boast in something else. I don't boast in the flesh. I boast in the crucified Messiah. Just as we read there in uh, verse uh, 14. What's he saying? He's saying it's not about the flesh. It's not about keeping the law. It's about the crucified Christ. Verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, some 
the message of the cross is foolishness. Not just some, a lot. Right, in the world. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's see something that Paul says there. Beginning in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is, dis where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul says, I, I boast in the cross. I boast in the Messiah. I boast in Jesus Christ who was crucified, who the Jews would not believe. You see, they thought this king was going to make them great, a great nation on earth. Paul's saying, no, I boast his humility. I boast in the fact that God's wisdom was greater than man. And, of course, he makes this the focus of his ministry. Romans 1, around verse 16, he says, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Now, going back to that thing about, I was talking about boasting in the flesh or worrying about what some people think, Have you ever been ashamed to tell somebody about the gospel? Maybe ashamed is not the best word. Maybe just fear. Fear of rejection, perhaps. Fear of persecution, but not in the way Paul would have feared it, if he feared it at all, right? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because he knew. He knew the truth. He knew what had been revealed. He believed in the crucified Messiah. In fact, so much so that he says, I have crucified myself to the world and the world to me. He wrote about this earlier in chapter 2. Let's go back over there and see what he said there. Galatians <coughs> chapter 2. <coughs> Let's just start with verse 17. He says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died in vain. Now he's using that verse to 
tell them it's not about the law. It's about Christ. But the point he's making is there, I died to myself. It's no longer me. It's Christ living in me. Now, I can't imagine Paul being afraid to preach the gospel. Basically because of what he just said there. I've turned everything over to him. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I live for him. Pretty simple concept. <laughs> kind of hard to implement, right? Because we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be ridiculed, right? We don't want to be rejected. Now, I'm not telling you you got to go to work and preach the gospel, everybody. And you might get fired for that. But if the opportunity is there, are you going to shy away from it out of fear of your job? Hmm. Well, I've got, I've got a wife and kids to feed. Hmm. Yeah, I understand that. I've been there. Is that going to keep you from preaching the gospel? Because you should have been crucified to the world, just like Paul. You should have turned yourself over to him, just like Paul. And if that's true, that's what you've done, what happens to you here shouldn't matter, right? Because you should believe that he's going to take care of you. And you should believe that if you're persecuted even unto death, you're going to be rewarded. Right? Am I right about that? So that's how Paul is able to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I have been crucified with him. No longer me that lives, but him that lives in me. Through this, he changed his priorities, right, in life. Circumcision, which was once important to Paul. He was the Jew of Jews. He said that. Wasn't important to him anymore. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about keeping the law. The new creature in Christ was what now mattered. And because of that, he's able to boast in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything that was his life was Christ Jesus. Everything that he did was anchored in Christ Jesus. Do we boast in the cross of Christ? Some prefer to boast in other things which they shouldn't do, right? Just read about wisdom. Are you proud of being smart? You kind of walk around, I don't know, spouting off trivia stuff to show how cool and smart you are. That's probably kind of, that's not a good allegation, allegory, but... Um, it's not about you. And guess what? God's wisdom is greater than yours. Any man in the world. It's not about your own strength. Psalm 33 talks about having that strength that we have through him. But it's not our own strength. And guess what? If you're just relying on your own strength, at some point, it's going to fail you. You may be riding high right now, but at some point, you're going to have something happen. Health issue, financial issue, family issues. It's going to bring you down. And you're not going to be as strong as you thought you were. 
Turn over Luke chapter 12. Let's read something. Chapter 12, beginning in verse um, 15. Yeah, beginning in verse 15. Uh, let's go with 13. The one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Actually, this is not... Yeah. He said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covenants, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, Well, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, those will, then, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, you can be as wealthy as you can be, but guess what? You're going to die. And then what? If all you're doing is trying to gain, 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 in this world, well, you know the old saying, you can't take it with you, right? Sure, you can leave it, I guess, to your family and stuff. But how many times have you heard about a self-made rich man who left his wealth to his kids and Within a year or two, it was squandered. Yeah. If you're putting all your eggs in the basket of this world, it ain't going to last. Interesting concept, right? If you're boasting in your wealth, you're not boasting on the right thing. Our boast should be in Christ and in God. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read something from there. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Are you putting your faith in men of this world? The only thing we can count on is God. That's really it. Well, sure, you know my spouse. I can count on my spouse. Well, your spouse is in the flesh. And your spouse can fail you. Your spouse is probably going to die before you. Well, I shouldn't say probably. Bob's never going to die. His spouse is never going to die either. They'll be here forever. But they're going to fail you at some point. Don't put your faith in men. We hear a lot of stuff in the news about you know, the president and politics and all this stuff, and what's going on. And you have to turn that stuff off because it drives you crazy, right? Because there's so much back and forth. And you think, well, 
you know, if something happens to our nation, our government's going to take care of us. The president will take care of us. You know, hey, we've got all this. Yeah, we may have to rely on someone to help us to defend ourselves at some point, but ultimately it's not about them because they're men. And you can't completely put your faith in them, right? Say, well, I, I know, they're not going to, what am I going to do? No, you put your faith in God and you boast in him. God raises up nations and he brings them down. Throughout the history of man, it's not been about what men did. It's not been about what the great generals did or the great kings did. It was God. God's in control. You say, well, how, how does God let somebody rise up and do evil things? Yeah. I can't explain that. But I know from Scripture that his wisdom is greater than men. And therefore, I know he's in control. You could say things like, well, you know, he raised up America to be the good force and the against the evil and all that stuff. And, and there may be some truth in that. Nobody really knows. But God is in control. Therefore, if you're putting your faith in men, you're going to be failed. It's only what Christ does for us, right? Therefore, just like Paul, we need to be changing our priorities in life. Right? Matthew 6, seeking first the kingdom of God. Psalms 86, talking about seeking to glorify God with all our hearts, with everything that we do. 1 Corinthians 6, we just read about some of this, seeking to glorify God with our bodies and spirits. Remember, our body is the temple of God. Therefore, immorality and things like that should not be part of our lives. Seeking to glorify God with good works. Seeking to glorify God when we suffer for Christ. And yes, as a Christian, you're going to suffer if you're not ashamed of the gospel. Seeking to glorify God when we live our daily lives and when we turn ourselves over to him. Got to be careful, Paul says, about boasting in the flesh. Our, show, our only boasting should be in Christ Jesus. And I'm not talking about you can't say you're proud of your kids, right? Taking boasting in your kids. We never do that. But ultimately, it's about him and him crucified. And that's what Paul's trying to get to here. Paul's final words include a plea and a prayer to a plea to no longer be troubled, perhaps by those who are questioning his apostleship here, and a prayer for bestowing grace for those who need or read this epistle. In other words, he was thinking about those who were going to read this in the future. Paul died many years ago. His prayer was answered. And he's simply saying here, boast in the cross, and you will be like me. You will have that crown of life eventually. All right. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.